The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Lord, as we have gathered this morning, we've sung your praises, we've prayed for your mercy. Lord, I pray that now your spirit would come and show us Jesus through your word that you would help us to see our living hope, that you'd help us to set our hope on this reality that's certainly coming. Lord, thank you that you shine into the darkness now, that there is hope to fight besetting sins, there is hope that covers our past shame, there is hope of a future in glory, And Lord, we thank you that there's a day where your light will shine and there will be no darkness at all. So Lord, come and wake us up to that hope this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this fourth week of Advent focuses in on the theme of love. And in fact, love is what we look back on and love is really what we look forward to in this season of Advent. So first, we look back on the love of God for us in Christ. You can all say this verse with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So God sent His Son as the ultimate Christmas gift of love to the world. This is how God loved the world in sending Jesus. The Word became flesh. And if you trust, even today, if you've never trusted before, if you trust today in His death on the cross to forgive your sins, you pass from eternal death to eternal life. Jesus has come and delivered the decisive blow to sin for all who trust Him. That is good news worth celebrating in this season. And yet... And yet, we all feel it, we all know it, there is still lots of brokenness and sin in this world. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the decisive blow has been leveled. We live between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. That's what Advent is all about. We can begin to love each other and Him because He first loved us, and yet so often in our families, in our marriages, in our extended families, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, our love is just lacking. It comes up short. We don't feel like we don't love very well. Well, listen to what love looks like after the first coming. You all know this passage as well, making it really familiar for you this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, read this way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So as we read, that's a beautiful picture of love, but it's also an admission that right now, Love has to deal with sin. (laughs) 
right? Love has to deal with sin. It has to fight against the sin that would cause it to be impatient, right? It's not in there because no one's ever impatient once they become a Christian, right? It's calling us to something. Love has to fight against its own heart that's prone to envy or boasting or arrogance. Love has to fight to not want to get its own way and be irritable and resentful. Right? Love has to bear things, endure things. Why does love have to do that right now? Because we're still sinful and others still sin against us. The next verse in the passage says, Love never ends. And it goes on to say that right now we know and see only in part, but one day we will know and see in full, and that love will endure as the greatest reality of all realities. In other words, all things will be love. (laughs) Everything will be love. And so this last Sunday of Advent, with the theme of love, we look back at the good news of great joy, that God loved the world so much that he gave us Jesus. We hope in that now. But what we're going to do today is look forward in Revelation to a world of perfect and pure love in the presence of God, a world of love that no longer must deal with sin against us and sins inside of us so that it can be fully and freely and forever focused on enjoying God and each other in love. Can you imagine what love will be like when it doesn't just have to deal with sin all the time? How freed up that love will be to just enjoy Jesus and one another forever. If you can't imagine, we're going to try to imagine a little bit this morning together. So point number one, diving in here, all things new, no distance or death. So open your Bibles to Revelation 21. We're going to start right at the beginning, verses 1 to 5. I want you to read along with me and just hear and see these words together that I hope will fill you with great joy. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. This is John talking. He's seeing these visions. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Okay, just stop there in worship. I'm going to try to preach about it a little bit. So God speaks at the end of this little passage, these five verses, and he says, I am making all things new. Sometime this week, use your sanctified imagination to think about what that's going to mean. All things new. 
Everything will be new, redeemed, reconciled to worship the King like it's supposed to. All of creation oriented around the King like it's supposed to be. This is good news for us who live in the sin-sick world that has only gotten more distracted and divisive and destructive in the last couple years in our context. So how is our God going to make all things new? Well, it says that there's a day coming when the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea is no more. In other words, the former things, all the brokenness of this present age, all of it, everything you can think of that's bad or corrupt or evil or broken, all of that's gone. It's all gone. And here's this new physical dwelling place that comes. The sea means that there's no more chaos or death. That's a symbol of that reality. As you read Revelation, what you want to think is, how would the the Old Testament saints have thought about these things? The symbols in Revelation are often from the, the Old Testament. So how would they have thought of this? When they hear the sea is no more, they say no more chaos, no more death. I mean, you can think of the stories of the flood or crossing the water into the promised land, or Jesus stilling the sea, right? The the sea is this enemy to be conquered of chaos and death, and in the new heavens, new earth, it's no more. No more chaos, no more destruction, no more death. The new Jerusalem represents the final gathered people of God in a final resting place with God. A bride coming to her bridegroom, King Jesus. Imagine a wedding, right? I love the moment at weddings where the doors open and the bride is walking towards the bridegroom, right? That's what this is. That reality, when you go to a wedding ceremony, was made so that you could understand a little bit what this is going to be like. The, the expectation, the groom's eyes locked, the bride coming down made white as snow for her bridegroom, Right, that was made so you could understand this reality a little bit. A final reality of a people gathered to their king without chaos or danger or sin or tears. We get a glimpse of what's coming here that should bolster our confidence in the present. And my goodness, if this is true, how do we not tell other people about Jesus Christ? First notice, just notice a couple things. Notice there's no distance. There's no distance at all. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've been a Christian for 50 years. If you're sitting in this room and you're like, I have no fellowship with God. I don't know where you're at. But whether we know it or not, as human beings, we are created for worship and fellowship with God. There is no other activity or hobby or job or entertainment or calling that can fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. The deepest longing of your heart is fellowship with and worship of the God of the universe. That's what we're made for. This is the beginning of the world of perfect, pure love. A people that loves God in His presence forever. What will that be like? Right? When we come together on Sunday mornings, we're just trying to get a glimpse, get a, get a taste that carries us towards this day. And where God dwells, sin cannot exist. 
Where God dwells, sin cannot exist. God is with His people, and where His people feel, where God is with His people, His people feel most at home. So if you're in this room, and the world doesn't feel like home to you lately, it shouldn't. Shouldn't this This is what you're longing for. This is what your heart actually wants. And if you're in this room and your heart has never been able to rest, despite all your attempts to find it in hobbies and relationships and promotions and achievements and comfort and family and vacations and on and on and on, you just just can't find any rest. And I'm telling you, this is what your heart's longing for. There will be no distance between God and God and his people, and we will finally be at rest. Second, there's not going to be any death or any whispers of death. Kids, even if you're little, you're very well aware, probably more aware than when I was little, especially in the last couple of years, that people get sick. People die and that sometimes life is very sad. And if you're an adult, and you live in a world where there are always burdens weighing on you, always someone you know that is struggling or sick or sad, but there is a day coming when God will dwell with us and will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more crying. (laughs) Nothing to cry about. There's a day coming when there's no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I don't even think you can stub your toe and make it hurt here. Right? How, how is that possible? It's possible because when Jesus comes back and brings this new reality to bear, he will transform us to have resurrected bodies that can take in all his glory, uncorrupted by sin, so that there are no sinful impulses and no physical brokenness. It's going to be amazing. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 to 55. The trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. The perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? No longer resurrected bodies, fully able to take in the glory of God. No more suffering or sin. So in this perfect, pure world of love that we look forward to, there is no distance from our God. There is no death. There is no whisper of death. No mourning, no crying, no pain, no tears. Just us in the presence of King Jesus. The barrier of earthly bodies and limitations in our worship removed. Right? There's no one on the worship team in heaven that goes, hmm, like Peter just did. <laughs> right? Nothing. Right? There's just not. It's a worship party of perfect, pure love of our God. Right? And it's all wholehearted. Right? Are you ever in a worship service just like, I just want my heart all in. <laughs> or at a gathering, I want my heart all in. I don't want 95% of myself, and I want myself all in. And in this place, it's all wholehearted worship of God and fellowship with Him and one another. 
that love him gathered from all the nations. Point number two, all things new, only life and light. So listen first, to, if you go down to verse 22, we'll read to the end of chapter 21, starting in verse 22 here. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, we want to see the imagery that they would have seen here as they read this. The temple of God throughout the Bible represents the way that man can dwell with God. (laughs) How, How do we dwell with God? How do we fellowship with God? Well, it's always been the temple. The people reading this would have been shocked when they heard the words that there's no temple. No temple? <laughs> how do we get God? How, how do we do it? But instead, it says the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. He's the temple. How do you get Him? Because it's Him. <laughs> it's a world of love. It's all Him. You're in His presence all the time, 24-7, unmediated access with resurrected bodies, no more priests, no more sacrifices, no more sin, instead of because of Jesus, full and free access to God all the time. No sun, no moon, no problem, right? Because the glory of God will shine through the lamp of Christ. This is what we see now dimly. Think of the verse. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we will experience fully in a new physical reality, the new heavens and earth, the glory of God shining in the lamp of Christ. The glory of God shining through Christ. We see the nations and the rulers walking by His light, bringing all their glory, all that's good into this place. And then we see something else. The gates will never be shut. Why would they even say that? Why would they say the gates will never be shut? Why do you shut the gates? Bad stuff's coming. (laughs) Bad people are coming. People are going to break in and ruin your, your little dwelling place. You never need to shut the gates here because there's nothing bad that's going to come. Right? Do you see that. Nothing unclean, it says, will ever enter into it. No one who does what is detestable or false. Ain't nothing bad coming, so leave the gates open. You don't even have to shut the doors. So not only is this a place free of distance and death and full of light and life, but it will last. That's the point of this. It will last. It's incorruptible, undefiled, unfading in its glory because nothing unclean is getting in, so don't shut the gates. I was thinking of an analogy for this. When I was little, I was just terrified of the night. I don't know why. My parents weren't like telling me scary stories at night, right? There's none of that going on. But I was just afraid of the night. And one of the things I did after my parents would, would tuck me in is I would wait till I thought they were far enough away to hear me. And I would sneak back out 
and I would walk around and make sure all the doors were locked at our house. Did it all the time. And one time I found one unlocked, which just <laughs> doubled down on my fears. It's like, Mom is getting lazy. I'm going to have to get up and do this. But in this new place with God, I won't even need to worry about shutting the doors. Nonetheless, locking them. I don't need to worry about the night because there will be no more night because God will always be shining. God reigns and will be there to make sure there is never anything bad coming in and will shine as bright as day all the time. Let's read the first five verses of chapter 22 to see some of these themes repeated. Chapter 22, verse 1. The angels continuing to take John into this Vision, it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They'll need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So the picture here is that in this place, eternal, perfect life flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb in his presence they flow. This water will flow down forever and water the trees of life on both sides of the river. This tree filled with the life of God will yield fruit season after season after season, month after month after month, and the leaves that are on this tree are for the healing of the nations. Right? There's, he's going to gather people from the nations. He's going to heal a people from the nations. Right? Had him preached. It's to light a thing for Jesus to only save Israel. He's going to take this to the nations. He's going to heal the nations of their sin. How will he heal? Well, he's going to heal with the life of God. He's going to heal with his fullness, with his glory, with his perfections. Again, this is what we need, whether we know it or not. We need the life of God. We need this pure, perfect world of love. We need this healing for the cursed, sinful existence that manifests itself in sin and suffering. This healing is just going to keep flowing down. This life is going to keep flowing down, never ending, never stopping, because the glory and power and might and majesty from the throne and from the Lamb will never stop, will never fade, will never go away. Notice that this ought to be beckoning us back to the Garden of Eden. It's beckoning us back with its imagery to see the tree of life. But now healing from the sin sickness of the world is needed along with life. We need the healing now along with the life because sin has broken in. Genesis 3 happened. And also remember and notice again in this passage that nothing unclean or accursed will be in this place. So even though it's beckoning us back to the garden, what God is saying here is that in this passage, nothing unclean will ever enter again. No risk of a repeat of Genesis 3. 
No risk of going back and starting this cycle over. The throne of God and the Lamb is there to banish all that is evil and bring life and complete healing to things. He is making all things new. No more night instead of people that dwell in His light. A people marked by His name. A people serving Him in worship. A people reigning with Him forever. A people fully healed from all the brokenness and ugliness and sin and suffering of this present age. Is there anybody in this room right now that might need some physical healing? Anyone need that? Anyone in here that needs healing in your relationships? is broken and you're even a little bit nervous about what's coming at these family gatherings. Anyone in here that needs healing to happen in your own sinful heart is ugly and is broken in there. Anyone know, that knows that true life would be a life where every word and deed and desire was in worship of God and in service to His name. Isn't that what you long for? This is the picture, these five verses, of full, true, eternal life, right? This is what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just get out of hell free card. Eternal life is this, full healing in the presence of God, enjoying His glory forever. This is the picture of perfect love. Everything else is gone, and this is what love is. This is the picture of the glory of God shining so brightly that there's no darkness left at all. It's been really encouraging to my heart to see the light shining in the darkness of our broken world now through the person and work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been encouraging to me. It's funny when you pick the theme, then a few weeks in, you're like, this is great. Right? I wasn't expecting it to be this good, just to see Christ this clearly in our devotionals, in the Word that we've been looking at, had in sermon about the light going to the nations and the prayers that I've been a part of. It's been so sweet. It's been good news to see that the darkness cannot overcome the light, but instead the light keeps shining in the darkness in us and through us to our neighborhoods, to the nations. But it's the best news that there's a day coming when we will dwell in complete light. No shadows of the darkness of this broken world left at all. Point number three, all things new for those washed in the blood of the Lamb. So the final question is this. How do you get to experience this perfect world of love and light and life? How do you, how do you get in, right? I want to get in here. How do you get in to experience this? Well, look at chapter 22, verses 14 to 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So who gets in from this picture? Who gets in? Well, those who wash their robes have the right to the tree of life and they can, they can walk in those open gates. Outside, sexually immoral, the murderers, the sorcerers, the liars the idolaters, those who practice falsehood. And at first glance, this sounds like bad news because at the very least, we've all been idolaters. Right? We, we've all been idolaters. We've all put things before God in our hearts and in our lives and in our worship. So what is the dividing line between those who still are identified by their sins? Right? They're identified by their sins. Who are they? 
murderers, sexually immoral, idolaters. They love falsehood. That's who they are. And then there's these who have washed themselves. So what's the dividing line between those who are still identified by their sins and those who have washed their robes and have a right to enter in and receive life in a perfect world of love? Well, turn back in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to give you a minute to get there. Revelation chapter 7, and put your eyes on verse 13 and 14 with me. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The author is expecting that you remember this, but I'm not expecting you to remember this because we didn't do this yet. So Revelation 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in what? In the blood of the Lamb. How do you enter in and get the right to the tree of life? You wash your robes white. Well, how do you do that? In the blood of Jesus in the blood of the Lamb. This is the dividing line between being identified in your sins as if they're still you and being identified as washed white as snow. Revelation 5, just a couple chapters earlier, says the slain and risen Lamb has ransomed a people by His blood. This is those people. This is the dividing line. If you're here today and you go, I want life. I want to live in this perfect world of love. I, I want this. The dividing line is not earn it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do a little bit more. The dividing line is trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Trust in the slain and risen lamb who is ransoming a people. Trust in him and he will wash your robes white in his blood. And then listen to the love of the one on the throne and the lamb for this people. You're still in chapter 7, right? Look at verses 15 to 17 and hear of his love for this people. Therefore, there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a God we have that he says that a couple times to us. I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to shelter you. I'm going to lead you to living water. You're not going to be hungry anymore. You're not going to be thirsty anymore. None of that crazy weather is going to get you anymore. I'm going to wipe away every tear. So what's the picture here of the love of God, the world of love? A people in his presence. A people serving him in worship. A people that's sheltered and satisfied and protected and shepherded and led to living water and every tear wiped away church in a crazy age this is our inheritance this is our inheritance 
This is the place where there's no distance from God. This is the place where there is no darkness. This is the place where there's no limitation from broken bodies or sinful hearts to enjoy and take in the glorious perfections of our God. This is the place of full life. This is the place of perfect love. This is the place our heart is longing for. This is what every beautiful gift and moment in this life should make us long for. And this is where our hearts are anchored when life's burdens beat us up. This place right here, knowing this is coming, and it's true, and it's sure, and it's coming soon. This is the hope we long for in Advent. This is the perfect world of love we desire. This reality is what causes us to labor for the Lord in this life by the power of the Spirit that many more would wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. What what a shame if we see this and don't tell other people about it. This reality causes us to long for the second coming of Christ even as we rejoice in His first coming with loud singing. So let me just end with the cry of the Spirit and the cry of the church and the invitation into this reality from Revelation twenty-two seventeen. You can look at it if you want to. Here's what it says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen: In light of all that we've just seen, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray for a few minutes here. Let me ask you a couple questions. So, Lord, if this is true, and we believe it is because your word is true, and then it changes everything. And so, if you're in this room right now and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus and you're going, I, I want in. This is what my heart's been longing for. I haven't known, but this is what my heart's been longing for. I pray in this moment that the Spirit who just invited you to come and take this water of life without price would now lead you to the water and you would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not quite there and you're not sure what to do, I just want to invite you to talk to anyone around you and they would love to tell you about Jesus. If you're here in this room and you're a believer and the burdens and the brokenness and the tears of this life have been weighing you down, I just want to give you two minutes right now to just meditate on all we just saw. So just take a couple minutes right now and let the reality that this is coming and this is true penetrate all the darkness and all the burdens in your life right now. Take a couple minutes and do that. Now would you just take a minute and just confess to your king, to your friend, confess where you've been hoping in other things, you've been running after other things, and lay him at the foot of the cross right now.
now just take one more minute as you've laid those things at the foot of the cross and would you just take a minute and rejoice and praise God that because of Jesus you've been washed white as snow. There is no condemnation for those things you're bringing to the foot of the cross. So you can bring them safely. You can walk out of shame. You can walk away from sin because you are washed white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. So King Jesus, even now, we long for you to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and make all things new. Come and wipe away every tear. Come and take away all the suffering and all the sin. Give us those resurrected bodies so we can take you in completely. Lord, bring us into that perfect world of love where all the deep heartache and deep darkness of our lives and our past and our fears of the future, Lord, where they, they just all go away because we're with you in your presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Lord, help us long for that. And help us now have that bolster our hope and confidence in you. That you who began a good work in us, you'll be faithful to complete it. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor is the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. So Lord... Break into our darkness. Break into our sickness. Break into our suffering. Break into our sadness. Break into our sinfulness. Break in as deep as the darkness is deep. Scatter the darkness away. And now help us have fresh hope in what you're doing, in what you've done, and in what you will certainly do soon. Lord, give us fresh hope that you will do it because you said you will. You're trustworthy. You're true. You're worthy of every praise. You're worthy of every thought, every deed. Lord, you are what our hearts are longing for. So right now, even in this moment, reorient us around you like that throne in Revelation 5. Let everything be pointed, all hearts, all worship pointed at you. Thank you that you came and you laid down your life and then you rose again to ransom a people from every tribe and tongue and people and language and nation the Spirit and the Bride, your Bride here at the South Congregation says, come. And let the one right now who is thirsty come and take the water of life without price. Lord, hear our prayers and answer them and sustain us and fill us with hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.